the late 1960s, a time of radical anti-war activists who are feeling that their demands are being ignored. Peaceful demonstrations turned violent. When the police arrived to arrest protesters, the crowds often retaliated. Students occupied buildings across college campuses, forcing many schools to cancel classes. And roads were blocked, ROTC buildings were burned. Doves clashed with police and the National Guard in August of 1968, when anti-war demonstrators flocked to the Democratic National Convention in Chicago to prevent the nomination of a pro-war presidential candidate. And despite the growing anti-war movement, a silent majority of Americans still supported the Vietnam effort. Many admitted that involvement was a mistake, but military defeat was unthinkable. When Richard Nixon was inaugurated in January of 1969, the nation was bitterly divided over what course of action to follow next. Make love, not war. Don't trust anyone over 30. Turn on, tune in, and drop out. I am a human being. Please do not fold, bend, spindle, or mutilate. These and many more became slogans for an emerging youth culture, a counterculture in the 1960s, the birth of the so-called hippie. Welcome to another episode of Print the Legend, a podcast for U.S. history students where we take a look at the stories that made up America and the stories that America made up. I am your host, Mr. Nasosi, and in part two of our series of Vietnam, we'll take a look at Vietnam on the home front, how the anti-war protest grew into not just a movement, but an entire counterculture that shaped foreign policy and domestic relations for many years to come. The baby boom was entering its teen years, and in sheer numbers they represented a larger force than any prior generation in the history of the United States. As more and more children of middle-class Americans entered college, many rejected the suburban conformity designed by their parents. Never more than a minority movement, the so-called hippie lifestyle became synonymous with American youth in the 1960s, displaying frank new attitudes about drugs and sex, communal lifestyles, and innovations in food, fashion, and music. The counterculture youth of America broke profoundly with almost all values their parents held dear. More than 350,000 people, mostly young people, showed up to hear the greatest rock groups in the country. The promoters billed it as three days of peace and music. And for most people, it was just that. But it would be the draft, this major source of resentment, that was held among many college students and these hippies. The average age of the American soldier in Vietnam was 19, seven years younger than its World War II counterpart. Students observed that young Americans were legally old enough to fight and die, but were not permitted to vote or drink alcohol. Such criticism led to the 26th Amendment, which granted suffrage to 18-year-olds. 
But amidst the anti-war protest of the hippie movement, it was a sexual revelation that was in full swing across American college campuses. Birth control and a rejection of traditional views of sexuality led to a more casual attitude toward sex. Displays of public nudity became commonplace, and living together outside of marriage shattered old norms of the early and mid-20th century. In addition to changes in sexual attitudes, many youths experimented with drugs. Marijuana and LSD were most commonly used, but experimentation with mushrooms and pills was common as well. A Harvard professor named Timothy Leary made headlines by openly promoting the use of LSD. There was a price to be paid for these new attitudes. With the new freedom came an upsurge in venereal diseases, bad trips, and drug addictions. Like the utopian societies of the 1840s, over 2,000 rural communes formed during these turbulent times of the Vietnam War. Completely rejecting the capitalist system and the industrial military war complex, many communes rotated duties, made their own laws, and elected their own leaders. They were philosophically based. They were influenced by new religions. Some were earth-centered. Some had astrological beliefs and even saw Eastern faiths proliferating across the American rural landscape. Some scholars and historians labeled this trend as the Third Great Awakening. But aside from the long hair, the beads, the bell-bottom jeans, and the tie-dye shirts, it would be music that would most bring this time period together. Centered in the Haight-Ashbury section of San Francisco, a new wave of psychedelic rock and roll became the music of choice. Bands like The Grateful Dead, Jefferson Airplane, and The Doors created new sounds with electrically enhanced guitars, subversive lyrics, and association with drugs. If you're going to San Francisco, be sure to wear some flowers in your hand. Popular Beatles went psychedelic with their landmark album, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Counterculture music became mainstream. Well, come on, all of you big strong men. Uncle Sam needs your help again. Got himself in a terrible jam. Way down yonder in Vietnam. Put down your books and pick up a gun. We're gonna have a whole lot of fun. And it's one, two, three. What are we fighting for? Don't ask me, I don't give a damn. It is important to note that the counterculture was probably no more than 10% of the American youth population. Contrary to common belief, 
Most young Americans sought careers and lifestyles similar to their parents. Young educated people actually supported the war in Vietnam in greater numbers than older, uneducated Americans. The counterculture was simply so outrageous that the media made their numbers seem larger in reality. But nevertheless, this lifestyle made an indelible cultural impact on America for decades to come. Good evening, my fellow Americans. Tonight I want to talk to you on a subject of deep concern to all Americans and to many people in all parts of the world, the war in Vietnam. I believe that President Nixon had a plan to end American involvement in Vietnam. By the time he entered the White House in 1969, he knew the American war effort was failing. Greater military power may have brought a favorable outcome, but there were no guarantees. And the American people were less and less willing to support any sort of escalation with each passing day. Immediate American withdrawal would amount to a defeat of the non-communist South Vietnamese allies. Nixon announced a plan later known as Vietnamization. The United States would gradually withdraw troops from Southeast Asia as American military personnel turned more and more of the fighting over to the Army of the Republic of Vietnam. In theory, as the South Vietnamese became more able to defend themselves, the United States soldiers could go home without a communist takeover of Saigon. Small and systematic troop withdrawals did little to placate the anti-war movement back home. Demonstrators wanted an immediate and complete departure. Events in Vietnam and at home gave greater strength to the protesters. In the spring of 1970, President Nixon announced a temporary invasion of neighboring Cambodia. And although Cambodia was technically neutral, the Ho Chi Minh Trail stretched through its territory. Nixon ordered the Viet Cong bases located along the trail to be bombed. After full consultation with the National Security Council, Ambassador Bunker, General Abrams, and my other advisors, I have concluded that the actions of the enemy in the last 10 days clearly endanger the lives of Americans who are in Vietnam now and would constitute an unacceptable risk to those who will be there after withdrawal. Over me. Peace advocates were enraged. They claimed that Nixon was expanding the war, not reducing it as promised. Protests were mounted across America, particularly at Kent State University in Ohio. On the Kent State campus, students rioted in protest. The burned-down ROTC building located on campus was surrounded by destroyed local property. The governor of Ohio sent the National Guard to maintain order, and a state of high tension and confusion hung between the guards and the students. Several soldiers fired their rifles, leading to the deaths of four students and wounding several others. This became known in the media as the Kent State Massacre.
following year, the American public learned about the My Lai Massacre. In 1968, American soldiers opened fire on several hundred women and children in the tiny hamlet of My Lai. So how could this happen, many were asking. It was not unusual for Viet Cong guerrilla activity to be initiated from small villages. But further, U.S. troops were tired, scared, and confused. At first, the lieutenant who had given the order, William Colley Jr., was declared guilty of murder, but the ruling was later overturned. Moral outrage swept through the anti-war movement. They cited Mi Lai as an example of how American soldiers were killing innocent peasants. In 1971, the New York Times published excerpts from the Pentagon Papers, a top-secret overview of the history of government involvement in Vietnam. A participant in the study named Daniel Ellsberg believed the American public needed to know some of the secrets, so he leaked the information to the press. The Pentagon Papers revealed a high-level deception of the American public by the Johnson administration. Many statements released about the military situation in Vietnam were simply untrue, including the possibility that even the bombing of American naval boats in the Gulf of Tonkin might never have happened. The New York Times has started publication of a series of reports based on a top-secret Pentagon study of the Vietnam War. The central fact so far revealed is that there was a massive deception of the American public for starting the bombing of North Vietnam. Ellsberg was walled off by a mob of newsmen and supporters as he admitted that he was indeed the man who brought the Pentagon Papers to the press and congressional leaders. I can no longer cooperate in concealing this information from the American public. A growing credibility gap between the truth and what the government said was true cause for many Americans to grow even more and more cynical about the war. But by December of 1972, Nixon decided to escalate the bombing of North Vietnamese cities, including Hanoi. He hoped this initiative would push North Vietnam to the peace table. And in January 1973, a ceasefire was reached and the remaining American combat troops were withdrawn. The United States will continue to recognize the government of the Republic of Vietnam as the sole legitimate government of South Vietnam. We shall continue to aid South Vietnam within the terms of the agreement and we shall support efforts for the people of South Vietnam to settle their problems peacefully among themselves. Nixon called the agreement Peace with Honor, but he knew the South Vietnamese Army would have difficulty maintaining control. The North soon attacked the South, and in April of 1975, they captured Saigon. Vietnam was united into one communist nation. Saigon was renamed Ho Chi Minh City. Cambodia and Laos soon followed with communist regimes of their own. The United States was finally out of Vietnam. But every single one of its political objectives for the region met with failure. Over 55,000 Americans perished fighting in the Vietnam War. And that concludes this episode of Print the Legend. 
a podcast for U.S. history students where we look at the stories that made up America and the stories that America made up. Coming up in our next episode, a time of malaise. Coming out of the 1960s in Vietnam, something was terribly wrong in America in the 1970s. The United States was supposed to be a superpower, yet American forces proved powerless to stop a tiny guerrilla force in Vietnam. Support for Israel in the Middle East led to a rash of terrorism against American citizens traveling abroad, as well as a punitive oil embargo that stifled the economy and forced American motorists to wait hours for their next tank of gas. And despite the groovy bell-bottoms and lit dance floors of the Odyssey 2000 and Saturday Night Fever, there was trouble in the White House in a small little place just up the road called the Watergate Office Complex. The 1970s, coming up next on Print the Legend. I'm your host, Mr. Nasosi, and I thank you for joining us. I look forward to welcoming you back here next time, and until then, keep learning.